0: This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, guys, it's Dr. Vic here. You're listening to another episode on the Mindful Experiment. Appreciate having you here. Appreciate you having you on. Uh, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss another episode. And if you enjoy the podcast, please like. And if it really inspired you, pay it forward by sharing with someone you know. This week, I have an awesome interview with Christine Deloiser. She is an acupuncturist and she wrote a book called Diet for Great Sex. Let's face it, guys. Our sexual health is declining in America. As a chiropractor, I worked with patients, and I started to see more erectile dysfunction, low libido, and other things like that, not just only in the male population, but also the female. And you can look at it just from the fertility issues that we're seeing in America today. And it's not just in women, it's also in men. And actually, the research shows it's equal now on both. And so in this episode, it was you know all about what are things that are uh, affecting our health, affecting our sexual health, and then what are things that we can do to repair it? to improve it, and to get it to be even more pleasurable and enjoyable. In her book, she goes way more in depth in these things. But what we talked about here was all about diet, focusing on diet, how EMS play a role on things, salt, different mineral balancing that we want to focus on, and so much more. To dive a little more deeper into uh, Christine, she has a book called Diet for Great Sex. It's food for male and female sexual health. She dives deep into the true catalyst of what makes our bodies fire on all cylinders and the best steps to maintain them through diet for as long as possible. The book also introduces how to get your mind out of the gutter, go with the flow, sticks and pokes and date night and the after dark. She specializes in sexual health and works with men, women, and patients for all gender orientations. With diet for great sex is for everyone who wants to have the best sex possible through the most natural means possible for as long as possible. Um, Christine definitely shares evident based studies and the psychological effects of food on the body while honoring the wisdom of traditional Chinese medicine. So, for all of you, let's sit back, relax, enjoy this episode, how we can level up our sex, sexual health, our sex lives. Because that plays a massive role on our mindset, on our mind, and so much more. So here is Christine Deloizer. Christine, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm excited to have you on. I think the work you're doing is absolutely needed. Uh, there's a huge, it's a solution to a big problem that isn't talked about so much. It is talked about, but it's not mainstream, I should say, in that way. And so I'm excited to pick your brain and all that you're up to. And before we do get into that, can you share just a little bit of your story of how you got into what you're doing today?
1: Sure. Sure. So I am a licensed acupuncturist. I specialize in sexual health, but before that, I trained to be a research scientist. I never ended up, you know, following a career in research, but I, I brought a lot of that to the book that I wrote. Um, you know, it's very much, you know, rooted in the scientific literature out there. Um, but uh, you know, when I started out my practice, I was doing what a lot of acupuncturists do. I was treating a lot of back pain. Neck pain, headaches, things like that. And one day, one of my regular patients came in and asked if I could help him to have stronger erections. So I said, "Sure, let's let's give it a try." Uh, you know it, it, that can be. A little bit of a jump, you know, for, for somebody treating back pain, because, you know, some of the places that you want to put needles are in intimate areas, you know, like, um, underneath the testicles, there's a, there's a major crossing point of nerves associated with sexual function in that area. So, um, but my patient got such good results that it was, you know, it was really impressive. That's something that's really hard to treat. It's hard to treat with Western medicine, you know, even with pharmaceuticals and then i had several patients just back to back who got really good results so i decided it was something that was worth my time uh to specialize in because it really made a big uh impact for these these patients relationships with their partners and and so forth so you know that's kind of how i got here and you know in chinese medicine we always focus on the root of of uh health you know rather than just the branch or the symptoms and when we talk about sexual health, we have to consider what we're putting into our bodies. If we're going to address the root, you know, acupuncture can increase blood flow. It can, you know, kind of awaken those nerve pathways associated with sexuality, but we also have to consider, you know, are those pathways clear, you know, can, how is nerve conduction, how is blood flow, you know, how is, um, how is our hormonal balance because the food we eat affects all of those.
0: I love that. Yeah. And it's so true how that, uh, it's amazing how much, you know, just our different foods we choose and what kind of foods and so forth. I know we're going to get into a lot of that, uh, how it can play a role in that. And I think that's just a good segue to, to, to dive right in. Um, so what are some of the things that you've seen that is actually a detriment to, um, having great sex, having for our sexual health and, and, and things in that nature?
1: Well, of course you've got the, the things that we're putting in our body, like the, like, for example, yeah. Uh, salt, you know, that's a huge culprit. Most of us take in more salt than is considered to be fit for human consumption. You know, we eat so much processed foods. You know, human beings at one time, you know, long before modern, you know, processed diets became the norm, we used to take in about 10 times as much potassium as sodium in our diets. And now it's just the opposite. We take in about 10 times as much sodium as potassium. And what this does is it wreaks havoc on our blood vessels, you know? So potassium kind of um, softens that delicate um, inner lining of blood vessels. It makes it more elastic and able to uh, carry blood flow. And it also prevents um, calcification of those blood vessels. So when we're taking in all of this salt, it's just the opposite. Um, So, that that's that's one thing, um, for example, and um, so so. Uh, sorry, I lost <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Um, but uh, you know, so that's one thing. Uh, you know, potassium. All of our processed diets are are really wreaking havoc um, on our sexuality.
0: Is it all salt in just general, or is it more what they put in processed foods, like you know sea salt versus Himalayan salt, and those different types of variations have a different effect on the body, or is it all in general?
1: Uh, You know, Himalayan salt is more mineral rich, so you're getting you know other things that are that are good for you. But if you overdo it, it's it's still going to have that effect. It it sabotages your potassium, for example. So. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you don't have to worry about salt. You know, your kidneys process it out. Your body has this, you know, exquisite mechanism for um, maintaining this precise balance of potassium and, and sodium in the body. And, and that's, that's true to a certain degree. But in order to deal with all that excess salt, even if it is from Himalayan sea salt, for example, your kidneys have to flush potassium in order to do it, in order to deal with that. And that's in diets that aren't getting enough potassium to begin with.
0: Gotcha. And it makes sense. And when it comes to then, so we got salt as a culprit. Um, what are some other ones that are out there that are some big ones that affect uh, sexual?
1: Health? Ah, okay, that was what it was. I forgot what your question was. And it was what are some of the bad ones? Okay, I remember it now. Um, yeah, so so salt is a big one. Um, uh, you know, some of the the greasy, fatty food that we take in is another big one, particularly the processed Fats for sure. You know, when we eat a really greasy, heavy meal, testosterone drops pretty pretty soon after. So that's not good in the short term for great sex. But also in the long term, you know, we see these fatty um, deposits on blood vessels and that sort of thing, and uh, hormonal shifts that sort of thing. Refined sugars are another one. We we take in a lot of refined sugars, sodas baked goods, cookies, you know, processed foods and I'm not talking about the sugar that comes from fruit that everybody's processed that much differently and then of course they bring with it you know all the vitamin C and all those other great you know antioxidants and things but refined sugar is really sabotage hormonal balance and there's a lot of evidence to to show that even people who drink one Soda, you know, one sweetened soda per day, have uh, altered levels of estrogen and testosterone. So it's it's a big culprit of you know hormonal shifts. I mean, we've seen as a population our hormones shift. I was reading something recently, and it was comparing testosterone levels of the average young adult with testosterone levels of their grandparents in their generation, and testosterone levels are declining. Which is, you know, in there are a lot of culprits for that. I mean, part of it is diet, part of it is all of the toxic heavy metals that we're exposed to in our environment. Those those two kind of um, disrupt the endocrine system.
0: Yeah, I remember I, I've read that study, and it is it is crazy how much we have dropped. I think it was I I'm, I don't remember the percentage off the top of my head, but it, it was a huge number. It wasn't like some like oh it's just ten percent of a drop. It it was significant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was alarming. <laughs> it was really alarming.
0: And so, I mean, it's it, yeah, I think the sugars is one of the big, uh, a huge one, uh, just and how, what it does to our systems and so much more. And I mean, Americans, I think now, somebody was, I was reading a study uh, just recently, it was talking about, you know, the average study was like, oh, we, we consume like 150 pounds of sugar in a year. And they're saying that's even higher now. Than what yeah. it used to be. Uh, that was like t- eight to 10 years ago, it was 100 wow. pounds. And they're like, it's up to 180 oh now. And I'm just like, I can't, my mind can't process that. It's just like, that is a lot of sugar. I'm like, I don't even know what that comes up to of how many, you know, I what know, consuming a day to get to that level.
1: Well, the biggest, the, the thing that's the saddest is when I see kids, you know, who walk to school and they get, you know, the processed sweets for breakfast. Then lunch, then dinner, and you know, I don't see them getting any kind of brain food or, you know, food that helps them develop mentally. And you know, people's diets are more and more consisting of just something processed. That's yeah, just so much refined sugar and and just processed fats.
0: Yeah. It's unreal. And and I had to do this really quick because I'm just a number guy. And so I was like looking, I'm like, how many cups are there in a pound of sugar? And so there's two and a quarter. So for 150 pounds per year, that's 337.5 cups of sugar consumed in a year.
1: Oh my goodness. So that's like a cup a day.
0: That is just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. it is almost a cup of sugar a day. Wow. Yeah. But it is, we don't look at that whole aspect of like certain brain foods. I mean, we just, you know, back... I remember growing up as a kid. It was you know you have milk, you have cereal, uh, you know, and, and then you're you're off to school. What do you have for lunch? You have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with a little sweet, maybe some chips, and then at dinner we would. Uh, It depends what dinner was always different, but it was one of those things where, you know, it's just, it's just loaded with so much sugar. And if you had a can of, you know, so pop, I come from the Midwest. So pop instead of soda. Um, Oh
1: yeah. I say pop too. Yeah. (laughs) I remember when
0: I went to Arizona and I was like, yeah, you guys have, you you guys drink pop. And they're like, what the heck is pop? And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, oh crap. Uh, Soda. And they're like, yeah, soda. I'm like, (laughs) we say pop back home. Why do you say pop? I have no idea. That's how I was conditioned. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. but, um, it's it just, it's, it's fascinating to just the you, consumption levels of what we're doing. So, crazy. so here's the question then, because I've had a couple experts when it comes to like, you know, when you have your arteries calcify, you limit the blood, blood flow to certain areas and, and some other things like that. Can we reverse some of these things with diet? And if so, what are some things oh. that we can <clears throat> add in to really make a, a shift and change into that?
1: So potassium is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, That, you know, to just basically improve the elasticity of of those blood vessels um, and deal with some of those um, uh, calcium deposits and and calcification of the blood vessels. But one of the only foods shown to actually reverse plaque accumulation, excuse me, are leafy greens. So cardiovascular disease has has long been believed to be uh, progressive, irreversible. It's not a matter of you know, when your arteries will, you know, become occluded with, you know, fat deposits, it's just a matter of how, how quickly that will happen. You can slow it down, but not reverse it. But that's actually not entirely true. And leafy greens were shown to, um, to actually, to a, some degree, reverse um, plaque accumulation. So, meaning there's less plaque accumulation after that type of intervention with leafy greens than there was prior. Course of you know, the best intervention is to, is prevention, you know, or the best treatment is prevention. You, you eat a healthy diet to prevent all that plaque accumulation. That's the most effective way, you know, to have great sex, you know, for, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. But, um, yeah, so leafy greens can help with that. Our diet in general can make a lot of changes that can, you know, that can improve our sexuality no matter what stage we're at. Of course, the earlier we begin, the better, Um, but leafy greens are a huge one. Uh, we're meant as as a human species to eat a lot of leaves. You know, if you, if you look at other primates, you see them spending a huge portion of their days eating leaves. And in doing so, they get many times the amount of, uh, you know, essential minerals and, and that, uh, you know, humans on the other hand, we kind of debate about what we should eat, you know, other animals just know what to eat, they go to the right plant, they go to the right animal, and they instinctively know what is most nourishing to their bodies. And we seem to have opposing views. But one thing that we could probably agree on is that leaves are a very good idea to be eating lots and lots of them. Um, so, Leaves are one and, um, you know, leaves offer this benefit to this entire trifecta of great sex, you know? So if we see, you know, sex beyond the psychological, you know, the right person in the right mood, if we look at the physiology of it, we will see that great sex is when nerves are firing strong, rapid signals to and from our genitals, it's when our blood vessels are delivering abundant blood flow and it's when our sex hormones are balanced and leafy greens bring um, you know benefit to all three of those you know we just talked about um, how uh, you know the mineral content they have loads of antioxidants which have been shown in research to actually strengthen and speed nerve conduction so, Lots of people, as we age, our nerves tend to, to fire more slowly and weaker signals. And what this means is less pleasure. Uh, in addition to other problems you know, in the body, but sexually, what that means is less pleasure. It means that blood flow isn't signaled as well. You know? So in order for our blood vessels to fill with blood, you know, we need to tell them to fill with blood via our nerves. When those signals aren't going as well, basically we have reduced sensitivity uh, for females in the clitoris and vagina and in, for males in, in the penis and so uh, basically what it cr- translates to is less arousal you know less blood flow less pleasure and so antioxidants have been shown to strengthen and speed that nerve conduction because most of that that damage that slows down our nerves is caused by oxidative stress from our lifestyles from our diets from you know from from our exposure to, to toxins in our environment. And so, you know, leaky greens even help boost testosterone. And they do so by reducing cortisol levels. So most of us are operating on higher stress levels. Our cortisol levels are high and cortisol is known to sabotage testosterone. So by reducing cortisol levels, our testosterone, testosterone increases, and that's important, not just for male sexual function. It's also important for female sexual function, female libido, uh, et cetera. So leafy greens bring a huge, a huge uh, benefit to sexuality.
0: Are there a certain type that are just like, this is better or not better. It just has more jam-packed uh, nutrition than others, or is it better like a portfolio just to do a diversified amount of greens?
1: I would say diversified darker is better. Generally the more widely studied greens are kale and spinach. Spinach is, you know, considered the superstar, but you know, if we were to study other greens just as much, we might find similar benefits, but every time we talk about leafy greens and their benefits, you know, they usually use spinach as their, as their, um, intervention, you know, in, in studies. So, um, so yeah, spinach and kale are, are big, but, you know, green leaf lettuces are great. Uh, red leaf lettuces, romaine, if they're dark, you know, if they're the dark leafy kind, um, and even some herbs, you know, leafy herbs and things like that are also good. Parsley is very nutrient rich. Cilantro is very nutrient rich. So, uh, yeah, so all of those are, are really good.
0: And for The listeners, if you're to refreshing your breath very quickly, just have a little parsley, yes. Uh, so my mom used to have me do uh, when she would always be you know, being Italian, making a sauce and stuff, or you know, things like that. So, I get some parsley, it's good for your breath, good for your breath. And I'd be like, okay, and then I do it, <laughs> and I'd be like, wow, it actually uh, does, does refresh it, yeah. Um, yeah, now for some people though, that's us they little you know, there was this whole you know, kale became I always loved, like, some people would be saying. Who's the PR person for kale. I need to talk to them. Cause it's just blown up like crazy. Hmm. But then there's also, as anything blows up, there's always the opposite side. And some people talk about oxalates in kale and how it's not good for thyroid and stuff like that. Um, is, is, is there, should be a caution to that in some ways or, um, is it, you know, sometimes researchers can just be someone's looking at it in some way and saying, Oh yeah, look, we had this one person or we had this certain demographic or this certain percentage. Um, Or is it not as relevant in some ways?
1: Well, um, again, I I think that the best thing to do is to, you know, I would say eat eat greens, you know, despite the oxalates and despite that there's conflicting evidence on that, first of all. And um, secondly, again, if we look to pretty much all other primates, they're spending a lot of time eating leaves. It's, it, there's a whole lot of evidence to suggest that we too should be eating leaves um, and that, it's, that, that our body can fully process and digest them, that any kind of toxins that they do um, contain that our bodies are able to deal with them.
0: Gotcha. No, that makes perfect sense to me. I love my kale and all my green leaves that I eat every day. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where, you know, just looking at that. So we got the leafy greens, definitely something to look at. And we, you know, we're talking about potassium. What are uh, uh, some things that you mentioned in in your book and stuff that it it can help enhance to, you know, the sexual function, but also great sex.
1: Oh, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole lot of them. Um, you know, even for those of us who are eating healthy and really pay attention to our diet, sometimes it's, you know, sometimes we can overlook certain, you know, certain nutrients. Like potassium is one that a lot of my patients who really focus on their diet may still overlook. You know, vitamin C is another one. So a strong antioxidant that is really important for mood. Um, you know, vitamin C can improve mood very rapidly. And, and because the, the reason for that is that it's, a key player in those, um, you know, dopamine pathways and dopamine signaling, and so, you know, all of those same chemicals involved in mood, like dopamine, uh, serotonin, for instance, are also critical players in sexuality. So what that means is that when if we are in a bad mood or we, we, we don't have good mood on a regular basis, if we're suffering from chronic anxiety, chances are we're not having great sex either because, you know, all that anxiety, for example, kind of turns on the sympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight, you know, kind of shuts off sexuality, um, such shuts off those sexual pathways. So uh, vitamin C is a huge one. Omega-3s for that same reason, are a huge one. You know, I mean, the, the brain is the master processor of sexuality. It's made up largely of fats and about 20% of those fats are omega-3 fats. And we can't get them from uh, our bodies. Our bodies can't produce them. We have to get them from the food that we eat, but most of us don't get enough. We're not eating fish. Um, and if we're not eating fish, or if we do, you know, people who do a plant-based diet, um, you have to focus on getting some walnuts or chia seeds or flax seeds, some of the other alternative sources besides fish, in order to be getting enough omega three fatty acids because omega threes are key players in again that uh, dopamine signaling in the brain and in the areas where a lot of sexual processing occurs. What that means is that you may have you know your signaling from the genitals to the brain might be okay, but then it might not be be processed um, as either, um, as it won't be as intense pleasure as you might like, for example, you know, basically dope, you might be producing less dopamine, uh, which basically means less pleasure, if that makes sense.
0: No, that makes perfect sense. And do you think like, even with we when you talk about dopamine, then like looking in the society where we are today, how much that plays a role on, uh, depleting our dopamine response responses by being overstimulated too much.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, that's, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, we, we are on these kind of, uh, you know, we have these addictions to these dopamine fixes from things like electronics and, and that sort of thing. And, um, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely problematic and even more problematic when your body's not producing enough dopamine to begin with, or it's not signaling, um, properly. So, you know, one of the things that's really interesting about diet in relation to dopamine is that, um, you know, the, more sugary, fatty diet we have, the more of that we are required to eat before dopamine is released in the brain. So, you know, food's meant to be pleasurable. Uh, You know, when we eat, our body produces dopamine and it basically is that satisfaction you get from eating. But if we eat crappy foods, basically um, our bodies kind of hold back on releasing dopamine until you give it sufficient, you know, fat and sugar that, that it's accustomed to. But the good news is that after a couple weeks of, um, eating healthier, your body will produce dopamine after, um, smaller amounts of sugar and fat, you know, those associated with the, you know, maybe eating fruit and and other healthy foods.
0: I love that. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, the key point, cause I, like, you know, in the work I do and, and, and the stuff, it's always been, you know, the, the, one of the laws of the body is what you abuse, you lose. We always know the one that what you don't use, you lose, but the also when you abuse, you lose. And it's like, if we keep, you know, firing those kind of things um, we're going to, you know, we're going to start, re, 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 you know, depleting some of those mechanisms, I'm not saying that's never going to come back, but, uh, but like you were sharing, doing certain types of stuff with a diet can bring those things back and get them back firing in a more healthier response.
1: Yeah, it's it is exciting the way the body's able to um, bounce back and heal and and really work for us.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's always fascinated me. No matter, I always say like we're you know when I was in school. Uh, Studying everything I was doing, it was one of those things where I'm like, we're literally committing suicide almost every single day, yet it's the body still is resilient enough to keep moving forward. Like, again, we're talking about like, uh, the pounds of sugar that we consume, people are consuming in a day and the, the amount of toxicities that we're, you know, things that we're consuming. In your work and your studies that you've done, I I wanted to mention this prior and I'm going a little backwards here. Uh, When it came to things that are detrimental for good sexual health, how do plastics or BPA, um, do you talk about that at all? And uh, if you do, how do they, for the listeners, how does that play a role when it comes to sexual function and hormone and and things like that?
1: Um, Yeah, I have a whole chapter on that. I have actually two chapters. One of them is on, um, you know, toxins in the environment that we're exposed to. And then the other one is on EMFs actually. So there's a whole lot of research showing that, uh, you know, exposure to these substances very much does two things. It disrupts the endocrine system and it's their, their neurotoxins. So, wh- you know, those are two of those, the three um, key players in sexuality. Remember we need a val- you know, a healthy endocrine system for our sex hormones, we need nerves to be firing strong, rapid impulses. And when uh, the things that are neurotoxins basically damage or kill nerves, and so that's you know that's definitely not what we want for for sexual function. Um, one of the things that's interesting though is that you know when we're exposed to toxins in the environment, research has shown that um, the more The better our our mineral profile is in the foods we're eating, the less of those substances will absorb when exposed to them. So the higher, the the two specific minerals that were found in research were um, magnesium and calcium, for example. The higher people's magnesium and calcium intake was, the less, uh, I think it was cadmium in one study, for example, that was absorbed when exposed to it. Um, zinc is another one that's, that's great. Um, you know, in, in order to deal with a lot of these environmental, uh, toxins, our bodies produce a substance, it's a protein called metallothionein, uh, metallothionine and, uh, some people, you know, everybody is different, you know, some people produce more than others. Um, that's why some people, for example, might develop neurological effects from a very small amount of exposure to, for example, um, toxic, uh, you know, toxic heavy metals, um, uh, but you know, zinc induces the production of these protective proteins, so uh, zinc you know basically increases the production of those metallothionines, which uh, bind to these toxic heavy metals that we're exposed to. So um, there are things that we can do to deal with the environmental you know assault really um, that we're dealing with on a daily basis. And then of course the EMFs, you know, we um, th- this was always thought of as these conspiracy theorists that think, you know, that are wearing like tinfoil hats to protect themselves from EMFs, you know, because <laughs> the, that's what we think of. We think of these crazy people. But uh, so when I looked in the literature, you know, I didn't really expect to find much evidence that uh, they were damaging to human health or sexual health. Uh, so I was really, really surprised to find that there's, you know, decades of very, very solid research showing that our exposure every day to, you know, electromagnetic fields, cell phones, Wi-Fi, things like that do have a very real effect on our endocrine system.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, even just you, even though like with the 5g that was, is rolling out, it's one of those things where people be like, Oh, it's, it's fine. It's perfectly safe. And I'm like, then why is there like over, I don't know. I can't remember if it was 15,000 or a hundred thousand. It's a big difference in number, but scientists like saying, don't do it. It's, it's detrimental to nature. It's detrimental to our health it's going to create a whole list of long of stuff. And, uh, of course it gets bashed as conspiracy theory stuff, but it's like, there's, there's, you can go, it's the, like you said, you went into the uh, research and you're like, I thought, wasn't going to find anything. And then bam, there's decades of material and studies and things that they talked about and how it affects just our systems in general.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, um, yeah, it's really appalling. There's a whole lot of research and, um, you know, even with that, the most of the, the damage is oxidative stress that it causes. So there are things that you can do to help protect yourself, even from Wi-Fi exposure. Um, the the biggest one that I came across in the research um, that actually has evidence to to support it was increasing antioxidants.
0: Yes. So no, yeah, that, that definitely is a huge comp- component to it. Um, yeah. It, it, so one of the things I want to ask before we wrap up is like, we, we talked a lot about minerals and there's things that we can take and potassium and there's zinc and stuff like that. If we, is the food we're consuming today have enough nutrient density to support our bodies for what it needs? Um, in Or are we seeing just from modern agriculture and how we're growing our foods nowadays with how we're treating our soils and so forth, that we're kind of losing some of that nutritional density in there?
1: we're definitely losing some of the nutritional density for sure. Um, and yeah, the way we're treating our soils, I mean, even the way we water it, you know, if you water it with chlorinated water, you kill a lot of the microbes in there and you want my, you know, microbial diversity in the soil to maximize the nutrient content. Um, and not only that, of course, we're over farming and and all of that stuff. So the tricky part of course is, um, you know, deciding what to supplement, when to supplement, how much to supplement, um, considering the fact that, you know, minerals in your body compete with one another. And when you take it in the form of food, it's, it's much safer than taking it in the form of supplement. Um, so, you know, if you want to increase your magnesium content and you take a magnesium supplement, you can sabotage your calcium, uh, you know, because they, they compete for receptor sites in the body and, you know, magnesium and calcium compete, you know, calcium and, Um, iron compete, um, zinc and magnesium compete, you know, they're all kind of competing for these, for these sites. Um, and then, you know, of course we have all these, uh, you know, nutrient, the, these minerals that we take in very, very, very small amounts too, which when we're supplementing, you know, are we blocking, um, their, their availability in our bodies?
0: Yeah, and I think that's some people because like, there's, you know, there's a movement, I I would say movement, because I kept seeing hearing it more and more about people just taking magnesium, people just taking magnesium. And I was always like, as patients of mine started to do more of that, I'd be like, you know, you want to make sure you're at least doing that with calcium and magnesium, because they counter one another. And, uh, you know, and, and, and it's one of those things like, and I'm like, you know, nature, I always say nature knows best that when you consume something that has one, it usually complements others. So that way it doesn't create these imbalances yeah, uh, in some way, shape or form.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which is why, you know, I'm, I'm reluctant to, I'm reluctant to supplement. I mean, you know, some of the, um, whole food supplements, the whole food, um, you know, vitamin and mineral, uh, supplements can be good. Because they, they have all those kind of cofactors in them, and they're more balanced, for example. So, you know, those can be a good bet if you want to, you know, if you do want to supplement. Um, yeah, it is, it is hard to get enough nutrition, even if you were to eat perfectly, which none of us do, you know, we're human. Uh, it's hard to get all the vitamins and minerals that would optimize health.
0: Yeah, I know even with my diet as clean as I am, I, I mean, I've, I've looked at the research and I think I think we're down either 40 or 60%. I can't remember the exact number compared to 1950
1: nutrition mm, density. Yeah, and, I, believe and that. I
0: And I think it's more 60 because I remember I was like, well, a cup of spinach back in 1950s, you know, if you looked at nutrition content, it's like 20 something cups now, but that's just with spinach. But I was like, okay, I don't think that's that that's 25 times of a difference. But when I I saw a study come through and it was like, I think it was I want to say 60 percent. It was up there. Um, And I was like, great. I eat a whole massive bowl of salad every almost every day. And I'm like, that doesn't even equivalent to (laughs) getting me to where I'm like, I need to do this. I figure out what my number was. I was like, I think I got to do two and a half times that on top of it just to get to the adequates of the vitamins that I needed.
1: You know, what's interesting is that, um, the amount of leaves that are in our environment that are actually edible that you wouldn't have known, you know? So for example, I was, um, <clears throat> I was reading about uh, sassafras. I was picking some sassafras when I was hiking with my kids. You know, we like to pick the roots and, uh, make some sassafras tea or root beer, that sort of thing, put some spices in there. But, um, as I was reading about it, I found that, um, you know, certain Native American tribes eat ate the leaves, for example. Um, and, you know, something that you find in nature like that is going to have a much different nutrient profile than uh, something that's, you know, that's farmed, for example. So- um, you know, even maple leaves in, were eaten. I don't know how many of them you can eat though. I don't know if, <laughs> if you get to a certain point and they're, you know, toxic and you know, I don't know if you could make a whole salad out of maple leaves or anything, but, you know, they are edible to a, to a certain degree. But I think that's um, that would be an interesting avenue to explore, you know, what other leaves we could include in our diet, um, you know, on a regular basis that are perhaps in a different form than farming.
0: Yeah, I started to. Uh, I told my wife we need to learn this because there's. I keep seeing like people talk about, or I'll see a video and someone walks and like this is such and such, and they just pull it right off a tree and eat. And I'm just like, that would be good information to know just in case or what ifs or you know if we just want to get a very nice natural salad in some way uh to know what is able to consume and not because that hasn't you know I think that information was lost years ago hundred you know years ago. Yeah. Um where it was because back in the day we used to pass down information all the time. And then we got dependent on the systems that and that you know all the changes that came. Uh and then we just stopped passing down this wonderful information that could, you know, like things like that.
1: Yeah. We seem to have have gotten to the point where we think science is superior to you know, mother nature, you know, the natural way of doing things and, and kind of lost a lot of that. That that happened, this, you know, the same way with um, Chinese medicine. A lot of it was lost. Um, and even, you know, the way we feed our kids, you know, we started feeding them formula instead of breast milk because we figured science could do it better, you know, <laughs> or, um, you know, but yeah, um, a lot of those things we're realizing now were were real gems.
0: Yeah, I think man has always, or humans have always been, uh, trying to they think they can outsmart nature in some way mm-hmm. um, and it's it, I always look at like even with like the breast like there was an article that came out I think it was 2016 2017 and it was in a it was in a uh, natural parenting book and in there in, or a, mag- a parenting magazine and they were talking about how uh, we shouldn't use the say breastfeeding is better or superior uh, you know for all these different reasons and I was like, are you kidding me I'm like leave breastfeeding alone it's I go you tell me what formula can change on the instant of a dime, the nutrient content demands of what the baby needs when it while right. it's eating at the moment. I'm like, you show me that study, that a formula can do that. And I'll say that that's gonna be superior. But until then, I mean, the new studies that are coming out about breast milk just alone is, is, is just unreal and all the stuff that I've studied uh, where it's like, it just fascinates me more and more. And I'm like, we just need to let nature just be. Like yep. just learn to say, you know what? Nature knows better. Let's yep. learn how we can work with that and, and, and enhance it more or uh, improve it or just leave it as is and just say, hey, we're just going to this is what it is. And that's the end of it. And let's move on.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Uh, we can talk all day on these things, but
1: <laughs> real
0: quick here. Uh, how can people find you, get your book and follow you and so much more?
1: I have an Instagram account where I have some recipe videos, for example, and other things at Diet for Great Sex. I'm on TikTok, a few recipe videos at Diet for Great Sex. I have a blog, dietforgreatsex.com. And yeah, that's the best way to find me.
0: Awesome. I'll have that all in the show notes, but uh, Christine, this was fun. I appreciate you doing what you're doing, helping, you know, you know, sexual health is a very, very critical, very, very important, uh, especially as we age. And uh, I I just appreciate you doing the work that you're doing to help individuals with that. uh, And so much more.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.